Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, hope you're having a great Monday. It is a nice and cool 26 degrees here. Uh, that's negative three for the rest of you in the world. Um, I love it. I love the cold. Uh, I don't know why. We were just talking about asthma and how it, it affects me negatively, but I still love the cold. You go outside, it makes you feel like you're alive. So anyways, I love that. Oh, good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Angie. So I have my car back. So this is the best Monday. Great. Glad to hear it. It's always good to get a, a vehicle back from maintenance, I'm assuming, fixing something. I don't know. Anyways, today uh, we are going to be talking out of the book of Habakkuk, which is an interesting book. Um, and what I was seeing was a lot of parallels for today. You know, when we start to look at, uh, oh, Virginia's on too. Hello, Virginia. Um, oh, long story about the car. Okay. We can, we can chat later. All right. When, when we look at earth, you know, from a satellite, it looks, you know, marvelous. It's, it's an amazing thing to look at earth from space, but when we get right down to ground level, things can start to look a little grim. We, we have some, some issues going on. You know, we have increasing division. Uh, there's, there's terrorism, there's tragedies going on, uh, uh trauma being inflicted on people and tensions with one another that, things start to look a little ominous, you know, somewhat like, like a big bomb's about to explode. Like we're, we're possibly on the brink of war or something, but you know, so it's easy to, to see why really thinking people would start to ask questions, would start to, to ask, why is there so much oppression? Why is there all of this injustice? Why do evil people that, that don't follow the ways of God, why do they prosper? Why do the people that do follow God, why, why do these righteous people suffer? Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God clean up this mess that we've created? Why, 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 why? Questions all over the place, right? These, these questions, these really penetrating questions, they're, they're hardly new. They, they are not new. And, you know, centuries before Jesus came, there was a, a prophet that looked around at the violence and the wickedness of the world and, and cried out to God, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? The, the prophet not only asked the wise that, that really plague us still today, he received answers to his questions. Uh, the answers given by the creator of the universe are, are carefully recorded in this, this short book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, it's a unique book. Unlike other prophets who declared 
God's message to people, this prophet, he dialogues with God about people. Most Old Testament prophets, they, they proclaimed divine judgment. Habakkuk pleaded for divine judgment in, in, in real contrast with the, the typical indictment this book records and intriguing interchange between uh, someone who was perplexed by what was going on and, and God. It's not merely a, a little on-the-street interview with God where they're just having a short little exchange. Habakkuk went beyond that. That you could see the dialogue develop in chapter one and the prophet's complaints were were met with the Lord's command to, to write down the revelation in chapter two. God's declaration in, included a, a lengthy, um, a lengthy amount uh, really with the five woes of the Babylonians. And then chapter three, that's where the, the, the climax happens with a, a magnificent praise. And the ever-present why is best answer, answered by the everlasting who. And I think that's the important thing to, to connect with, is that as we answer or ask the question why, the answer is in the who. So through the, the outlook of, of what we see in, in Habakkuk's why questions, it could elicit some terror in us. Uh, but really, the, the upside or, or looking up, that elicits trust. The, the complaints and fears were resolved in confidence and faith. And this is, this is the heart of the message of Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk wrote in a time of real international crisis and, and national corruption. Babylon was uh, emerging as a new world empire and, and was stretching out across the world. Uh, the, the crisis internationally was, was very serious. Uh, but uh, of even greater concern was the national corruption that was taking place all around him. There was, there was a lot of unrest within Judah. Uh, Josiah had been a good king. But he died, and his son um, Jehoahaz was uh, made king. He rose to power, but only three months into his reign, the king of Egypt invaded Judah. He got rid of Jehoahaz as king and placed his brother Jehoiakim on the throne. And and we know. If you look at 2 Kings 23, you can look at 2 Chronicles uh, 36, and you can see that Jehoiakim was evil. He was ungodly. He was rebellious. And and shortly after he ascended to power, Habakkuk wrote his lament over the, the decay of the society, the violence that was taking place, all of the greed and the fighting and, and the perverted justice that was surrounding him. And it was no wonder Habakkuk looked at all the corruption and asked, 
why doesn't God do something? Godly men and women continue to ask a a similar whys uh, today in, in a world of increasing international crises and, and internal corruption. Nations are, are rising up against nation around the world and, and sin seems to abound, especially here in the U S you know, world powers, they are aiming in, in an ever increasing array of complex weapons at each other and in doing so while they're talking about peace really the moral fiber of of nations is being is being eaten away by a, a philosophy that makes personal pleasure the supreme rule of life pleasure at at the highest pleasure as the highest good is is really catching on while uh homes are crumbling you know crime is soaring and and the church seems to be uh losing influence it's it's somewhat souring we have drugs uh divorce and just uh, real debauchery prevailing and and we're seeing decency die this is what is is displayed for us to to look at when we we turn on the news or anything like that, this is what we're seeing. Is this happening everywhere? No, there are the, the small uh, groups of believers living in oneness and really coming together to, to fulfill the call to make disciples of the nations. And so um, by and large, though, this is this stuff that, Habakkuk was asking about why we're seeing again today. It's still happening. We have self-indulgence dancing in the streets. You know, faith is, is being attempted to be buried. The, the slogan in God, we trust, it just seems to have become meaningless. Just something meaningless stamped on currency. In, in such a world of crisis and chaos, Habakkuk, he really starts to speak with some clarity in in what could be called the dark days of Jehoiakim. Just before the Babylonian captivity, Habakkuk wrote an unusual message of hope and, and encouragement for God's people. And, you know, though, though doubts and confusion reign when sin really just runs rampant an encounter with God can turn those doubts into devotion and all confusion into confidence. Habakkuk's book, it begins with, with an interrogation of God, but it ends as an intercession to God. Worry is transformed into worship fear turns to faith terror becomes trust hang-ups are resolved with hope and anguish melts into adoration what what begins with a question mark really kind of ends with an exclamation point the answers to to habakkuk's why again is who 
his confusion while when asking why all the conflict it's it's resolved with his comprehension of who is in control and that's god habakkuk who complained over the unchecked sin in his country was amazed at god's disclosure that he had already prepared an instrument to judge judah which was babylon habakkuk was was shocked he expressed his dilemma to god and waited for an answer he he brought what was on his heart to god he waited for god to answer he didn't didn't run off didn't just spew and then run off uh, again with no answers this is a problem that we have today and we've talked about this on on these broadcasts throughout the week we've talked about it on sundays over and over and over again you have to sit long enough to wait for the answer to hear from God. What is it he's saying to you? You're asking questions. You're asking why. Why is this happening? Why is that taking place? Wait for an answer. The answer that came, Habakkuk was instructed to record. Learning of God's plan just really learning of God's plan to destroy Babylon, Habakkuk bowed in humble adoration. His prayer and, and hymn of praise followed. At the opening of chapter 2, Habakkuk had positioned himself to await God's reply and to determine how he might respond concerning his complaint. This is, this is part of waiting, is how are you posturing yourself in that? Are, are you standing there postured, you know, with your hands on your hips, you know, kind of tapping your foot, waiting impatiently for God to respond? Or is there a, a, a posture of, of regard for who God is? So Habakkuk postured himself. He waited and recorded God's extensive reply. And now Habakkuk gives his response to God. It, it wasn't a protest. It was a prayer of praise as, as indicated by its title, uh, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. So let's, let's go into Habakkuk chapter three. Uh, I, I want to read through, through this. Habakkuk three. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigenoth. Now, this is this is a word I, I couldn't find a pronunciation for, so I'm just going to do my best with some of these. Shigenoth, it was, um, it's only used twice in the Old Testament. And um, it, it could refer to an instrument, but it also could refer to a type of psalm. And the other instance of its use is in Psalm 7. And so it, it favors a type of psalm, but it's also related to a lament, which is kind of what we're seeing through the book of Habakkuk, is, is a lament. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. 
in wrath, remember mercy. This is, we know God in, in dealing with the nations and in, in dealing with, with Israel and Judah, um, there was wrath there, but there was also mercy there. There was mercy in a sense of wanting them to turn back from the the evil ways, from, from the idolatry that they had taken hold of, the, the mixture and compromise that they were inviting in. And Habakkuk is pleading for, for mercy to be remembered in God's wrath, for in this, in the exile to remember mercy. And we know that eventually happens. Verse three, God came from Taman and the holy mountain from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Verse five there before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. This is just talking about divine judgment. When you, you look at the Exodus, you're, you're seeing uh, a praise and somewhat a narrative in Habakkuk three of what took place when God brought his nation up out of Egypt. Verse six, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Kushan, Midian, these were, were tribes uh, near Edom. And uh, basically they were seeing God's power and, and really were stricken with fear. Uh, verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. When, when you think about this, the rivers mentioned twice in the sea. You can think about the Nile River turned to blood. You can think about the Red Sea being parted. You can think about the Jordan River being parted. All of these things bring about that, that imagery of God riding on his horses, on his chariot of salvation, that salvation of bringing the nation up out of captivity, pulling them close to himself, his people, his inheritance, and, and wanting to dwell among them and bring them into the land that he had promised them. In doing that, he, he parted those, parted the Red Sea, parted the Jordan River, and, and one of the, the plagues was turning the Nile to blood. So that's what you could think about in, in imagery when you read verse 8 there. All right, verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. This is God coming as a warrior to fight for his people. Verse 11 says, The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. So the sun and moon 
stood still. You can look at this in, in Joshua chapter 10 and see the victory there. This is God coming through and, and having victory as he uh, shows up as a warrior for his nation. He threshed the nations in anger. He is, he is separating the rest of the nations from Israel. You know, when you think about what took place at the threshing floor, there was a, a beating of of the, the stalks to, to separate the wheat from the chaff. And it was thrown up and the chaff blown away. That's what you see here in, in imagery. We, we got to stop and, and think about these things. What is the picture that is, is being created here? Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crush the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. Crush the head of the house of the wicked. This could be uh, referring to Egypt and um, in laying him bare from thigh to neck. This just um, talks about a thorough defeat, right? This is, this is what God brought about. He brought about a thorough defeat of those who are um, turning against him and resisting him. Verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he's talking about the captivity that is to come, the, the invasion that is coming to uh, uh, the people of God. And he hears it and he says his body trembles, his lips quiver at the sound. He is in awe. There is a, a fear of what God is doing there. And this is leading not to, not to a fear of the unrighteous, but to a right regard for who God is. Really settling in to say, this is what is needed right now. All, all of the, the things that Habakkuk lays out, all of his why questions about why this is going on, why that's happening. Uh, why are the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering? All of that. He is seeing what God's doing. And he, again, is now positioning himself a little bit differently. Before he positioned himself to listen, to record, to wait on what God was saying. Now he's positioning himself in praise. Yes, it, it sounds scary about what's happening when he says rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. But there is, there's a regard for what God is doing. There's an understanding of what needs to take place. He goes on in verse 17 and says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy 
in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So interesting here. In the midst of, of his body trembling, his lips quivering, feeling the, the rottenness enter his bones, his legs trembling beneath him, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He's not trying to do any of this in his own ability. There, there is no uh, uh, allusion to his own strength, his own understanding. He is relying solely on God. In the, in the midst of all the turmoil and, and, and sin that, Habakkuk was seeing, he was determined to praise. And in all of the turmoil and sin that we are seeing today, we need to determine to praise. We, we can't, yes, there, there are going to be uh, things that happen to us that don't seem fair. And, and that is a point where like Habakkuk, we take that to God. We ask the questions. Why? Why is this happening? Why, God? Why, 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 why? But we don't just leave it at that. We don't just leave it at throwing complaints and, and whining because that's what it gets into if we don't stop to position ourselves in waiting, to position ourselves to listen to what it is that God has to say. And on the backside of that, position ourselves to praise regardless of what it is, because the answers that Habakkuk got were about the, the nation of Israel and, and, and Judah being overtaken and carried off into exile. Yet he's still determined to praise. Angie asked the question a few weeks ago when she talked about praise, what will you do in the face of opposition? Will you shrink back or will you praise? This is a question we have to be asking ourselves daily. And, and when we recognize opposition coming against us, we, we need to be quicker to rec recognize opposition coming against us. And then we have to ask, am I going to shrink back in this moment or am I going to praise God? Because the, the, the response that, that we have as believers, that we have as followers of Jesus is looked at all the time. It's examined closely by those who are not following us, not following Jesus, because there is, there is something there that they're looking for. They're either seeking to understand truth or they're seeking to be rebellious, but there is always eyes on us. What will you do in the face of opposition? Are you going to shrink back or are you going to praise? One of the names out of Isaiah 9 for God is Mighty God. We have to remember that Mighty God has victory. He already has had a great victory. It's his. Jesus was victorious 
when he came to earth, regardless of how it presented to, to the people of that time, he had victory when he came to earth. His rule is everlasting. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget that just because the fullness of that victory has not been manifested yet does not mean that it isn't reality. Because it absolutely is reality. And we cannot forget that. All right. I think that's all I have to say because I want to leave you with that question. What will you do in the face of opposition? Don't wait until opposition comes to have this conversation with God. Don't wait until you're faced with something to uh, uh, determine whether or not you're going to shrink back or whether you're going to praise. Talk to God. Have the conversations about uh, uh, help me to recognize opposition quickly. Help me to to set my face like flint to praise and, and not to crumble and and shrink back into uh, a comfortable hiding place. Not to put a mask on and say, okay, this is this is uh this is me now. I, I'm I'm hiding back here. Everything's good. Don't lift away the mask. No. Start having the conversations today. What will you do in the face of opposition? I love you all. Hope you have a great week.